So one more time, I'll ask, how are you all doing? Good? Before I continue, I'm going to put this on silent because I know someone's going to probably call at the worst time. But anyway, so I want to start with a verse today. Uh, it's the anchor of the entire message. And it's a very simple verse when you read it. It's nothing really hard to understand, but it's, I think, really, really deep and profound. And that's what the message is going to be about. So it's uh, 1 John 2.15. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Should I read it again? Okay. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So it doesn't say that the Father will stop loving you. All right? But what this verse is basically saying is that we need to have a mutual love. It's not just enough for God to love us. We know God loves us. He loves us so much. He sent his son on the cross to die for our sins. He's doing everything in his power to save us, to redeem humanity. But the father wants his children to love him back. Now, you and I can go march down the street all day long and say, I love God, I love God, I love God. But this verse is saying, if you love the world... The love of the Father is not in you. So there is no way to love the Father if you love the world. It's also not saying if you love the world a lot. We sometimes try to uh, calculate things. Well, I don't love the world that much. So-and-so loves the world a lot. So the love of the Father is not in that person, but the love of the Father is in me because I like the world a little bit. Am I making sense? It doesn't matter the degree of your love for the world. It's simply saying whoever loves the world, the love of the Father, is not in him. So I'm going to be sharing from the life of Daniel this, this day. And <laughs> I'm also probably going to speak next week, and maybe I'll uh, speak on the life of Daniel again next week. There is so much to unpack in his life. There is no way on God's green earth that I can do that in two, uh, in two messages. So it may seem like there are different moving parts to my uh, message, but I don't want us to get confused because it's all under this general theme. And the central theme of Daniel's life is that he recognized what the world was, and although he functioned in the world, do we all function in the world? Do you not have a job in the world? Do you not have friends in the world? Although he functioned in the world, he managed to not love the world. And he managed to not become like the world. So Daniel is the, I'm going to use a big word, quintessential example of this verse, 1 John 2.15. And you can apply Daniel's life to our experience here on this earth. And when the Bible says, do not love the world, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. If we look at Daniel's life, you see that truly he did not love the world, and we'll see what that really means and by definition, that means the love of the Father was in him because he had such a close, deep, intimate relationship with God. It was pretty fascinating, actually. So I'm going to share a little bit of backstory because I don't think we can fully appreciate Daniel's life and Daniel's stand and his experience if we don't know some of the backstory. So I'm not going to go into a lot of details, but this is the first time in the nation of Israel where they're going into captivity the first time. They were in captivity in Egypt, don't get me wrong, they were taken out, but now they're 
a people. They're God's people. They have their own place. They have their own laws, their traditions, their customs and everything. After all God tried to accomplish with them and through them, now they're going back into captivity. So what happens is, remember last time I spoke, I spoke about King Josiah? Remember, he, he found the scroll, he humbled himself before the Lord. Well, his son did the exact opposite. And during his son's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar comes in with his army, goes into Jerusalem, captures some of the stuff in the temple. Not only that, takes the king with him and then takes poor Daniel and his friends and a bunch of young men at the time in that kingdom. So he takes Daniel and his friends, he takes them to Babylon. And what's so scary about this whole thing is time after time after time, God was warning these people through the prophets, wake up, make a turnaround, turn your life around, turn from the things of this world, turn from these idols, a disaster is coming. And it, it came to the point where they were so spiritually desensitized. Sometimes when we reject the, the voice and the leading of the Holy Spirit so much, we become spiritually desensitized. Nothing has an effect anymore on us. It's a very scary place to be. But the people of, of this kingdom were so spiritually desensitized that not only were they not listening to what the prophets were saying, I spoke last time that he tears the, the scroll that, he, that they find. They, Jeremiah, you know, uh, speaks, prophesies, they write it down, and Josiah's son, instead of tearing his clothes, repenting, humbling himself, he tears the word of God. I don't even want to hear it. I don't want to see it. I'm, I'm on the right track. And Daniel and his friends, now I'm going to emphasize this again because I really want us to see something here, are the first group to experience captivity by the Babylonians. And why is that significant? Because they had no roadmap to follow. They didn't have anyone's life to really look at and say, okay, this is what you do. This is what you're supposed to function like. It was a very new situation they were in. So in Daniel uh, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, we're going to read from Daniel chapter 1 a lot if you want to follow along. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace. All right, so these were young guys, physically, let me just put it like this, okay, for the young people here. I don't know what dating apps you use, I'm not familiar with them, but if Daniel was on a dating app, they would have swiped. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what direction they would have swiped, but they would have probably swiped because he had it all. He had the looks. He had a, a noble family, probably. He was, he was skilled in speech, everything. He had everything that you can worldly-wise desire. So they take Daniel and his friends. They swipe. <laughs> they take his friends. I hope that's not a bad app that you swipe. I don't know. I'm not going to get into that. And whom they, mi <laughs> whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. So now, not only are they taking the best of the best from Israel, bringing them to Babylon, they're now training them and reconditioning them and reprogramming them to think like Babylon, okay? Th to teach in the language and literature of, Chal of the Chaldeans. We don't know how much literature 
has an effect on us, how we speak, how we think, how we talk. Throughout history, all these great writings and words that our education systems are based on and they're teaching us, you know, they have a huge impact on our minds and how we think and operate in this world. So this is what they were trying to do to Daniel and his friends. The goal of the king of Babylon was to strip Daniel of his identity and make him like Babylon. That was the goal of the king, to make him like Babylon. And Babylon represents the culmination of the world system operating completely independent from God. And it represents the best of the best that the world has to offer. Babylon represents the best minds, the best technologies. It talks about how they were astrologers back then. We think that's something new, that's something cool and different now. But they had this back then, astrologers. They were reading all sorts of signs. They had scientists. They had master of all masters were living in Babylon, all right? The greatest thinkers of their time. And what's the first thing they do to Daniel and his friends? They change their names. So to Daniel, they name him Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, they name him Shadrach. To Mishael, they named him Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. There's absolutely no point of me naming all those names. It's just for us to see <laughs> that their names were changed. And I don't know about you, I think they were not very nice names. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, I like Daniel. I don't know about Belteshazzar. Sounds kind of awkward. But anyway, so he gives them a new name, all right? Then they have new leaders. They're under a new king, a new system. They're in a new country. They're in a, they have a new language they have to learn, new customs, new traditions. How many of you were, came here from a different country? A lot of you here came from a different country. I have a newfound respect for people who came here from a different country from scratch. Didn't know the language, didn't know the laws, didn't know what to do. Props to all of you guys. I will never know what, that, what that's like. But multiply that by a million, maybe, at that time. They were completely isolated. I'm assuming most of you knew somebody here, or you came here, and you found family here, and your network was pretty decent or whatever. You had some sort of a, a cushion, right, when you came here? No cushion. Okay, Albert had, Albert had no Okay, I take it back. So you could relate perfectly to, to Daniel and his friends. So... They're in a totally new place. Now he grooms them for three years. Listen to this, Daniel 1.5. And the king appointed for them a daily pr provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank. And three years of training for them. So that at the end of that time, at the end of the three years of training, they might serve before the king. Reconditioning them, reprogramming them, right? Are you seeing that in, in these verses? Am I speaking a different language? Yes? Okay. That is the exact identical goal of Satan. To make us think, act, talk, and be like the world. King Nebuchadnezzar's job was to make these men think and act like Babylon. 
Babylon being a type of the best of the best the world has to offer. Now today, as even as Christians, I'm not going far, I'm not saying the people of the world, I'm talking about Christians, you and I who have accepted Christ as our Savior. The number one goal of the enemy is not to make you, oh, commit a sin yesterday and today. That's part and parcel of what he tries to do. But it's to make you and I think, mostly think, talk, act, be like, reason like the world, like the people of the world do. Clear so far? Yes? He tries to entice us with the world, the things of this world, the people of this world, and very gradually our taste and our preferences and our goals in life change. There's a new phenomenon, they call it social media influencers. They're not even now pretending not to influence you, they're literally calling them influencers. These people's goals on social media is to influence your behavior, in influence your taste, influence your preferences, influence you to make you buy something. They're not even lying about it anymore. They're straight up naming themselves influencers. Everything you and I say, search, there are bots, what do they call it for those tech tech people? Algorithms, thank you. There are algorithms tracking what you're doing. Even when you talk out loud, the phone is listening. We were talking about, before we went on our honeymoon, Cancun. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm saying it out loud, now everyone's going to get Cancun notifications. I started getting all these ads on this Mexican vacation, beautiful waters and seashores. Heck, I'm going to go there and put on my credit card. Slowly, it changes our behavior, changes our taste and our preferences. Now, envision Daniel walking into this place. Envision him walking into this place, the, this godless society. Immediately, his conscience was interrupted. All right? We as Christians, we have a spirit. Our spirit has a conscience. It's able to detect right from wrong. You can go into a room. Do you ever feel something? You feel something's off? Somebody says something, it seems wrong, you feel it in your spirit. You don't even sometimes know why it is that you think that. But it's this intuitive feeling that you have. It's your conscience. It's able to immediately detect when something is right and wrong. It's your intuitive perceptions and perception of things. In the core of man, we can tell when something is right versus when something's wrong. So immediately Daniel walks into this place, walks into Babylon. His conscience is interrupted. He, uh, he, something is resisting and rejecting what the vibe of this place is, what's going on, what they're doing, how they're thinking and operating. But it's not enough to just have your conscience sense that something is right and wrong. It, it takes it a step further. So in, in Daniel chapter 1, 8, he says, but Daniel purposed in his heart. Very specific choice of words. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. So he drew the line when it came to consuming what the king had to offer him, physically consuming it. So he knew something was wrong in his spirit. We established that immediately, right off the bat. 
But God gave him spiritual understanding to comprehend what it was that was wrong about this place. God gave him a spirit of wisdom and revelation to see what the world really is and recognize what the enemy was trying to do and then give him the power to make this decision and to resist the change that they were trying to do. Am I making sense? When he entered Babylon, his conscience realized something is off. But now he says, ah, this is what the world is. It takes spiritual wisdom sometimes to really recognize what the world is. It's not always we point the finger, oh, this is bad, that's bad. It's, some, it's a system that sometimes we have to really see to appreciate the level of how, how bad and how off the world is. And his spiritual understanding from the Lord makes him see immediately that he's in a, a spiritual war. It's a war over him becoming something that God does not want him to be. Yes? And he recognizes the fight. Now the fight, so he recognizes what the world is, then he recognizes what he should and shouldn't do, where he is, this enemy territory, and the fight. Not allow the king to conform me and my friends to Babylon. That is the fight that Daniel was trying to, was, was waging. So now that he receives this real revelation and spiritual knowledge, he, he's able to purpose in his heart. His, with his entire being, he makes a stand. That's what I'm trying to say. He makes a spiritual stand. You can't always make a spiritual stand just by feeling something or just by saying something's off. A spiritual stand you'll really be able to make when you allow God to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him to open up your mind, your understanding, to see things from his perspective. We can be Christian. There are many Christians out there. They've been Christians for 50, 60, however many years. But never really receive a deep revelation or a deep understanding on God and his plan and purpose and particularly today, what the world is. My focus today on this message is what the world is. Paul says in Ephesians 1.17, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. The eyes of your understanding. He's, he's writing to Christians, right? They're already saved people. They already have to some degree, they know right from wrong, but he's saying there's a, a step further. Your spiritual eyes need to be enlightened to really see, to see what? What is the hope of his calling? One, hope of his calling. If you love the world, if you're enticed by the world, are you gonna know what the hope of his calling is? Even if you, he reveals to you what the hope of his calling is, you won't even, it won't even have much of an impact that you may know the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. It's saying something so incredible is awaiting for you. I have so much to give you, so many spiritual riches, an inheritance. An inheritance is waiting for you. 
and I'm begging and pleading for your spiritual eyes to be opened, to love not the world and the things of this world and what the world has to offer you and what the riches of the world have to offer you, but to wholeheartedly make a stand and just desire and want what God has to offer you. That's what it's saying. All these things said simply with his entire being, Daniel dedicated himself to this stand. So long as the world entices us and we think that the world can bring us some sort of a joy and fulfillment and we have our eyes on the people of this world, which is very hard to avoid now because we're on social media, and as long as we envy the people of this world, we will never be able to have a strong stand the way Daniel and his friends did. Have you heard of the polling company Gallup? It's one of the number one polling companies, and they've been tracking trends in, uh, I think it's life satisfaction and happiness, specifically since tw 2006, they've been tracking this. And you can just go Google unhappiness, Gallup, you'll see the article. They're seeing a global, not just in the US, not just in developed countries, but they're seeing a global rise in unhappiness. How many people are unhappy? How many times sometimes we walk around unhappy? Uh-oh, I hit a nerve. We're Christians, we should never be unhappy. We're always laughing, always smiling, like. So why did Daniel refuse to eat from the table? What was it? He goes to Babylon, realizes something's wrong, obviously complies with certain things, but what was it about this particular thing, eating off the table of the king, that he drew the line? He complied with the training, he complied with his name change. I wouldn't mind if they changed my last name, maybe, because it's very long. It would be a lot easier to just say Arlen Smith or something like that. Eating of the table of the king meant oneness with the world. Now he's becoming the world itself. Outwardly, he did what he had to do to get through. We got to do what we have to do sometimes in the world to not negative things. I'm just saying we got to work. We got to see people. We got to do our thing, right? Outwardly, we got to do what we have to do to get through. But inwardly, he kept his heart exclusive to God. If he ate from that table, his heart would no longer be exclusive to God. Complying with the world was necessary for survival. As an aside, complying doesn't mean blind obedience to the government and to the world. The Bible says, respect your leaders, pray for your leaders. It doesn't say... Later on, we see that the, they put a decree, don't pray to anybody but the king. Is Daniel going to listen to what the government is saying when, when he says pray to nobody but the king? No, he lifts the fire or the lights the fire even stronger on his prayer life. Opens the windows. I could just picture this. Opens the window. Everyone's like, don't pray out loud. He opens the windows on his balcony. He's like praying to, to heaven. So complying with the world was necessary for survival, but consuming what the world had to offer means loving the world, which we are not to do. 
again, I'm going to read from 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, emphasis on this word, all, church, all. I'm first and foremost speaking to myself because I think I know what the world is sometimes. And then God will show me, no, no, no. There is something that you really love that's also of the world. All that is of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And one of my favorite verses to really grasp all of this, and, and the world is passing away. It's saying, you're, why are you wasting your time? I'm telling you, the world is passing away. It's all going to, I'm not going to, I reread one of his visions, Daniel's visions. I was blown away, blown away. The four leaders of the world, the different animals they are, what it represents, the last one, what's going to happen, what's coming to this world. Everyone thinks, oh, it's, it's Putin, it's the... Really? Something is coming so drastic that it proves that the world is passing away. John's ministry, so this is John writing this. John's ministry on the one hand was constantly talking about God's love, God's love, but then on the other hand, it's talking about not loving the world. These two things are, are, go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. The love of the world is one of the most subtle and undetectable things May we all have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God and a true discerning spirit to clearly see what is of the world and what is of God. Anything that, that does not originate from God is of the world. It could be something that seems and sounds even spiritual. If it doesn't originate from God, it's of the world. And the things of this world often have a very good packaging. Didn't Satan tempt Eve. What did she say? She looked at the fruit. What was the first thing she thinks? Good for food, right? It's good. Was there anything wrong with the fruit itself? Was there like a, was there anthrax in the fruit? <laughs> Either I'm not funny or. <laughs> <laughs> what was wrong with this fruit? It was simply not what God had ordained for them. Anything God doesn't ordain for us, doesn't want for us, whether it's good or bad, is of the world. And we are not to, we're not to eat it, lest we die. It's interesting, you read the story about when they're told to, they're told to worship, or if not, I'm going to put you and your friends in the fiery furnace, Right? What do they say? It's a, they say in Daniel 3, 17, 18, it says, if that is the case, if you're telling us that if we're, we're to worship and not worship our God, we're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace, if that's the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Hold the amen for one second, because it says, but if not... 
even if he doesn't save me, even if he doesn't save us, even if we burn, even if we feel the pain of the burning, let it be known, O king, that we do not serve your God, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up for us. That's the level of spiritual wisdom and revelation they had to know what the world was. That I'd rather be burned in the fiery furnace than become like the world. Oh, yeah, yeah, I should just close this. I ask myself, what's my level of commitment on, on not wanting to be like, the, have I purposed in my heart with all my being? Okay, let's not condemn ourselves either. Now, another point is really, really interesting. I want to now show you that God, we're in the world, right? We're told to not love the world. We need to purpose in our heart not to defile ourselves with the world. But I want to show you how God's protection is around us while we're in the world and how important our, our prayer life is. So in Daniel 1.9, this is after he's told them what they're supposed to do, all the training, you have to be like this and that. Daniel 1.9. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. So you see this principle throughout the Bible, God bringing somebody in favor of somebody bad. God bringing you, in, when Abraham was going with Sarah through the world and they were going through all these places, his prayer was, God, bring me into good favor amongst these people. It's such an interesting concept because we take our day-to-day -day lives in this world very lightly. We go to school, we go to work. I want you to think about the, t the place you spend the most time. Where do you spend the most time? Don't say church, I don't believe you. <laughs> Kitchen? <laughs> um, that's not gonna work with my example, but <laughs> unless there's somebody in the kitchen bothering you, I guess that works. V, don't say anything. <laughs> okay, work, uh, most people it's work. It could be any, it could be, I don't know. Whatever it is you do, it, what, what if it was even church? Let's just say. Say you're part of Sunday school ministry, I'm, I'm making an example, and there is a, a leader of the Sunday school or leader of the worship team or something that you clash with. I don't know. Think of somewhere you spend a lot of time and there's, there's clashing. We need to make a habit, church, of being very purposeful in our prayer life when we go to our work, when we go to anywhere that we spend a lot of time to pray for God to put us in the goodwill of those people. It's not just for us to function as a light for them. That's one part of it. Definitely to function as a light so they can see God's light and hopefully want to come to the Lord. But it's also for our own protection. How often do you leave the place that you spend the most amount of time completely drained and juiced out? Even if you didn't spend that much time there, even if you had a light workload, do you ever leave drained and juiced out? 
Yes? Do you know Satan is using everyone around you to bring you down, to bother you, to annoy you? He uses the people we spend the most time with. So I suddenly saw a lot of people smiling. Uh-oh, who are you guys spending the most time with? <laughs> I hope it's not the spouse. He uses the people around you, whether they're good people or bad people, that's not the point. They could be great people, they could even be Christians. They're, they're negative vibe, I don't know what else word to use, they walk in with. Their attitude, their unnecessary comments. Is this ringing any bells? Ask God, okay, it's above my pay grade. <laughs> Satan uses all means to distract us, tire us, and attack us in this world. But our prayer life and being very, very diligent about placing everything in his hands. You're going to work, pray for that day. Pray for the people around you. Pray that they, they tr deal with you properly or they deal with you and not do something to make you, your life more stressful, let's say. Maybe God allows some things to happen to teach you something. I don't know, but I'm saying for the most part as a principle, we got to be very purposeful in our prayer life and not look at the place we spend most of our time, whether it's school or work, as just, oh, that's separate, and when I come home, that's where I have my study time with God. No. Satan uses those places and those opportunities to really bring you down to the point you're so juiced out, you come to church or you go home to pray or, you, or you're just in a totally off mood. Paul says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, of, uh, against rulers in the dark places, of, of the heavenly hosts of wickedness. Are we just looking at it as so-and-so is bothering me? Or behind there, there's a power working behind that person. Behind there, there's a, an attitude working behind that person. Something of, the, of Satan and his, and his people, his minions. We should not neglect praying before entering these places that God place us in favor of the people around us so that we are protected. This was one of the reasons why Daniel saw this. He walks in, it was an atmosphere of darkness there. An atmosphere of darkness in Babylon. One more, can I say one more thing about prayer before I move forward? Because we're, a few of us were talking in the back about prayer and why we have to pray about something. It's why we shouldn't cease praying about certain things. Sometimes God answers things fast. Sometimes it takes a while. We see the answer actually in Daniel. Daniel 10, 12, he's praying for something, and the angel comes and says, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. Oh, not yet. It gets, it gets a little <laughs> harder. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Yes, amen to that, because on day one when we pray, he hears us, right? But then it says, and I have come because of your words, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. It's talking about a spiritual battle that this angel 
had to go through to pierce through this atmosphere of darkness and to come to Daniel's aid. Do we not sometimes see that when we are praying for something, God is tur- or Satan is turning up the, the attack? The moment we pray for something, especially if it's in God's will, we're uh, praying according to his will, oh my gosh, he's turning on the attack even stronger, even harder, even louder, even hotter, whatever er. 21 days, an atmosphere of darkness in Babylon. It is no wonder why so many people today are struggling with psychological disorders. There are so many pressures of life, so many pressures of life and a very strong, intense cultural influence, culture of the world influence on us every day when we're walking out. I want to read one verse from Peter and bring this to a close. 1 Peter 1.13 Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up your loins means prepare for something challenging and difficult, and difficult. Spiritual battle, spiritual warfare is not something easy. Be sober. But it takes all the pressure off with this next verse. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do we have to, some of what I share today might seem, oh, there's it's so like a lot of pressure. It's the complete opposite. It's actually supposed to be liberating. Because it says right here, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as, as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you be also holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And the punchline verse I want us to focus on is verse 17. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here. Think about that. Conduct yourself throughout the time of your, it's like saying the world is a hotel or it's a vacation. You're just staying there temporarily. I shouldn't call it a vacation. That sounds good. (laughs) Temporary prison. (laughs) Better. Conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. In fear. Now, this is not about going out and being scared about everything. It's talking about having a spiritual fear, being alert and sober-minded, earnestly seeking God to see what he's saying to you in, in a particular moment you're in, prayfully going to him, fearing God in the sense that You love him so much, you want to satisfy him. If you don't fear someone at all, fear is like a, it sounds very, like a negative connotation for us, but it's it's something, it's something that requires us humbling ourselves before him. Hmm? Respect. Respecting God enough, respecting the Father enough 
to care what he has to say, to invite him in, to know that you, you and I cannot last, we cannot handle our situations alone. How do we fight? In our prayer, right? In our prayer lives. And we fight with the word of God. Yes? No? Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. So that's all I wanted to share today about Daniel. There, are, there is so much in his life. It's just incredible. It's 11, I think it's 11 uh, chapters. I encourage you to read it. 12? 12 chapters. Go read it. It's beautiful. So much to unpack there. But just look at his stance. And I didn't have time today to go over all the places God is protecting them. Church, when we make a stand for God, he doesn't just leave us in the wilderness. He was in the fire with them, actually. They said, even if you're not, we'll still, he was in the fire with them. He was with Daniel in the lion's den. Every step of the way, right? So we should take our stands and not fear, church. Amen? Amen.